All of us want to be the best version of ourselves, but often things get in the way. We can get in our own way. Knowing what our best looks like is one of the biggest struggles of being the best of you. You know, it's interesting if you think about it, all of us have people in our lives that we really, really, really like. Like you have somebody in your life that they just bring life to you. They're so easy to talk to. You love being around them. They're one of those friends that like fills up your tank instead of draining your tank, right? And hopefully you have lots of those people and hopefully you're that for somebody else, right? They're the people who reciprocate love to you. They give gifts to you. They love you for who you are. Right, they're the ones that you can call you know, and say, hey, I'm having a really hard time and they listen to you and they tell you it's gonna be okay and, and, and they're just there for you. But then on the other side of that, we also have people that we don't like. Like we have people who are really, really hard to love. Maybe, maybe you work with somebody like that. Maybe you're related to somebody like that. And, and these people are not, um, they don't often do like evil things. Like sometimes they do, but sometimes they, they just do things and you shake your head and you think, there's no, there's no way you thought that was a good idea. Or, or maybe you have a friend or a family member who posts things on social media and you think, there's no way you believe that. There's no way you think that's true. Like you literally link to that article. There's no, that's not even true, right? We all have maybe that conspiracy theorist friend or family member. Maybe it's just me, I don't know. But, but we all have people in our lives that are hard to love. It's hard to like, they're hard to wanna to be around. And some of us have people in our lives that are hard to forgive who have hurt us, who have done things to us, who have said things to us. And we think they, they don't really deserve my love. They don't deserve forgiveness. They haven't asked for it. It may just be somebody that you find really annoying. Like here's, here's a great way to know the person in your life that fits this category. If their name appears on your phone for a phone call or a text message and you think, ugh, like maybe I can just pretend I didn't hear it. What, what do you do with those people? Like how, how do you move forward with those people? Because the thing is, as we've been talking about in this series in the book of James, our faith, the, the, the foundation of our faith, the security of our faith and the fruit of our faith is seen in how we handle the people in that second category that we really wish were not a part of our lives. And it's not easy. And last week we looked at this idea that at the heart of God, at the heart of the gospel is this, this idea that God loves and is for the powerless and the voiceless and the difficult people of our lives. Now this sounds nice, okay? This sounds really nice. And especially when you come to church and you think, well, this is exactly what I'm gonna hear at church. I'm supposed to hear, I'm supposed to love people who are difficult. I'm supposed to forgive people that don't deserve it. I'm supposed to be friends with the person that nobody else wants to hang out with. Like that's of course what I'm supposed to hear at church. And it sounds nice, but it's actually incredibly difficult as you know, but it's also not optional as a follower of Jesus. See, the thing is, as we go through James 2 today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, here's the great thing. You can just listen and you're gonna sit here and go like, yeah, everybody should do that. That's like really great advice. Everyone should actually do what is in the Bible because this sounds really great. But if you are a follower of Jesus, this is not optional at all. And the people in your life that are difficult to love and forgive, they are in your life so that you can live out James 2. That's why they're in your life. 
Okay, that's why God has placed them in your life. If you've ever wondered, why did I get a difficult teenager? This is why. If you've ever wondered, why am I related to this family? This is why. God placed those people in your life for you to be able to live out James 2. Now, here's where we're going today is we're talking about this idea of the best of you. The best of you is seen in how you treat people who can't return the favor. Okay, the best of you is seen in how you treat people who can't return the favor. It's not seen in how you treat people who can return the favor. It's not seen in how you treat people who give you the favor first. That's easy, it's easy. you're supposed to reciprocate. That's just being a good human. <laughs> but the best of you is seen in how you treat people who can't return the favor. And most of the time, the people who can't return the favor fit into that second category of being difficult. They can't move your platform forward. They can't help you build your business. They can't give you more influence. They're not part of the in crowd. And in fact, when you love them and serve them, you're often going to do it in secret and no one will ever know. Now, here's one of the reasons that we don't like it, because we want people to know. Like, we want people to know if we've been a good person. If you do someone a favor, you want people to know. In fact, you probably post a picture on Instagram to be like, look, I'm, I'm doing a favor. Check this out. Look at me serving. I, I'm doing this. And yet, the best of you is seen when no one sees it. It's seen when no one sees it. See, and for James, this idea is central to the letter that he writes. We skipped over this part in chapter one, and we're gonna go back to it today before we get to chapter two. This is what it says in verse nine. It says, let the brother of humble circumstance boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. See, what James is talking about and what we're gonna see in chapter two is what the gospel of Jesus does is it levels the field, okay? It levels the field. James says that there are people in our lives that are rich, they're part of the in crowd. In the first century, rich and poor was kind of the, the biggest markers that they could use in writing. But you could put into this like the in crowd, the out crowd, you know, this political party, that political party, this race, that race. And, and we think about all these things. And, and for many of us, we elevate something in our minds. Oh, if I can get this, if I attain this, if I have this GPA, if, I, if my kid goes to this college, if I get that. And James says, all of that that you're trying to attain, it's just gonna wither away. Like, here's a great example. Think about it like this. How many of you know the name of your great, great, grandparent. Very few of us do. Some of us do. That's how fast your name goes. Like in a hundred years, almost no one's going to know who you are. They're going to remember your name. Now, on the one hand, that's depressing. You think, man, like everything I think is a big deal. Like I'm kind of a big deal. Like don't, you're telling me no, no one's going to know. But what it also reminds us is, is that there's something and there are many things that are bigger and more important than you. And, and what the cross of Jesus does is it levels the field and it says the people who think they're up here, who think they're something, who think they're kind of like a thing and have a blue check mark next to their name on social media, they're actually down here. The cross brings us down and humbles us. And then, but there's also a group of people who are like, I don't deserve anything. I'm so bad, I, 
like, I just get what I get. And, and, and they put themselves way down here, not from a sense of humility, but because they don't have a, a good self-worth. They don't see themselves the way that God does. And the cross of Jesus says, no, no, you also come up. You also come up. The cross levels the field. Now, this is important because as we get to chapter two, we're going to see how we live that out because that's true, okay? Because that's, a, that's an easy kind of church idea to be like, yeah, the cross levels the field. I'm even with everybody. But the reality is deep within our hearts is a constant battle of bias and judgment. Now, let's just, before we get to chapter two, let's just say this together, okay? Let's just admit this together. You're really good. I'm really good at judging people, okay? Just admit it. Like, you, if you want to say it out loud just to feel some freedom, I'm really good at judging people. You are. You're really good at it. You did it already today probably 15 times. You're, you're really good. You, you're really good at judging yourself, too. We're really good at judging people. We're really good at having a bias. Many times we don't think that we do, but, but we do. We have a bias. We have a bias, and, and, and it shows up in, in all kinds of ways. And James gives us a really simple example. He says, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in the good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my feet, haven't you made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so James starts off by saying, hey, let's look at what's in our heart. Let's look at what's in our heart. Because a lot of times in our culture, we'll say things, well, that's not really me. You know, when I said that, that's not really who I am. But James says, no, what's in your heart, as we've already seen, what's in your heart eventually comes out. Okay, I said this earlier in chapter one, what's in your heart eventually comes out. And what's in your heart eventually comes out and how you judge people and look at other people. And so he says, imagine you're at a place, church service, you're at a meeting and two people come in. One's rich, right? And, he, and, and he's got an entourage dressed to the nines. I mean, he looks great. You think, man, like, I just want to be with that guy. Like, that guy has power. You could just see his influence, right? And when you walk into a room, any room that you've ever been in, you know who is the power and who is the influence. Like, you just know. You walk into high school, you know who the in crowd is. You walk into the cafeteria at a high school, you know where the cool kids sit. He says, imagine, then a poor person comes in. He's not dressed to the nines. And you say, yeah, just get out of the way. Go sit over there. Now, here's the thing. Our first thought when we read James chapter two, and James says about, you know, the rich person and the poor person, we think, I would never, ever do that. But the thing is, is you would and you do. And sometimes we do it without even realizing it. I mean, think about it like this. When was the last time you helped somebody who could never help you back? When was the last time you helped somebody with their career who could never repay the favor for your career? Here's one, have you ever sat at a table at a meeting or a wedding and been annoyed at the table you got placed at? Probably. Why'd you get annoyed about it? Well, because there's the really cool fun table over there. Like, why don't I get the cool fun table? Like, look at them, they're singing and laughing and I got this table and I don't know anybody. We get annoyed about it. Or, or this one. When was the last time that you ever like recoiled at the smell of somebody's breath or body odor? Yeah, but they should, like Josh, they should, they should know. Like they should take a mint. Like everybody should have a mint. They should know. 
But, but what did we just do? We just said they're a little bit lower. Have you ever scanned the room while you're talking to somebody, but you're looking around trying to find somebody else to talk to? Did you ever do that? Did anyone ever do that to you? It feels amazing. It's so great when somebody does that. When they're just looking around the room, and you're like, oh, cool. Like, you want to talk to somebody else? Like, anybody else? Like, here's one. If you're on a Southwest flight, how annoyed are you when someone sits in the seat next to you? You're like, man, I just really wanted like, to be alone. What about, what about skin color? Have you ever looked at somebody with a different skin color, different ethnicity? And wondered, why aren't you more like me or why aren't you more like this? Or, or what about the way somebody votes? When we talk about this, because this is a really big deal in our culture, just the political voting. Do you ever look at somebody and just be like, why would you vote for that person? I mean, you've probably done this as a parent. I've done this as a parent where my kids have said stuff to me and I'm just like, and I'm, in my mind, I'm just thinking, that's the dumbest idea. Am I allowed to tell you that that's an awful idea? But do you know what I just did? I, I just judged them in that moment. See, it's so easy to do. See, and here's the thing. The, the amazing thing about, about this idea of bias, okay? Here's the amazing thing. Is that when you read every other verse in the Bible about like any other kind of sin, lust, greed, pride, we're like, oh yeah, like, you know, woe is me, you know, if only for the grace of God, like I have all those things in me. The moment bias comes up, we're like, I don't, I'm not biased. Like it's the one sin we're convinced we do not struggle with, but we are convinced everybody else has. And so James says, we do it every single day. We do it all the time. Because here's why, okay? Somewhere along the way, you were taught to ask the question of how can I get ahead and who can help me to get ahead? That is woven into the just fabric of our American narrative, okay? How can I get ahead? Look out for number one. Maybe you were taught in your family of origin, if you don't look out for yourself, no one else is gonna look out for you. And so we go through life leveling people out, deciding where we fit on the pecking order. You're taught somewhere in school where you are on the pecking order. And then you spend your entire life doing that. And James says, no, 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 the cross just levels the field. The cross just levels the field. And, and the bias that's in your heart and in mine, you have to constantly fight because it's there. It's there. Right? And we see this in our relationships when other people, when we do something for somebody else and they don't say thanks. And it shows up when we take things for granted, when we just expect that it should be this way. See, because remember, the best of you is seen in how you treat people who can't return the favor. The best of you is seen in how you treat people who can't return the favor. Going a little bit further, the best of you is seen in how you treat people who don't return the favor. See, you have somebody in your life that does not return the favor. And you're wondering, how long do I have to be nice to you? <laughs> how, how long do I have to like keep serving you? Like, when are you gonna say thanks? Right when the disciples came to Jesus, they're like, how many times do I have to forgive? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. And I'm sure someone's going, all right, so if I get to 491. So what you're saying, Jesus, is that 491, I can stop? But here's why he said that. Because at some point you stop counting. At some point you lose track. And, and so the question James wants us to ask is, what bias do you have? 
Because you have one. You have a bias. You, you look at people in a certain way and create categories and create levels. And so we have to admit what our bias is. What our bias is. I mean, one way you can think about it, if you're a parent, what kind of person do you hope your child doesn't marry? That's a bias. What kind of job would you never want? That could be a bias. Is there a place that you would just never, ever, ever live? That could be a bias. Now, all those things aren't necessarily a bias, aren't necessarily a sin, but what James is saying is be aware. Be aware, just like we talked about temptation. Be aware. What, what is it that lurks underneath the surface of your life? Just be aware. See, and this is, this is hard to hear. I mean, honestly, like James 2 is really hard to hear because we want to play favorites. We do. We want to play favorites. We want to play favorites because it helped us get ahead at some point in life. We want to play favorites because somebody played a favorite against us and it hurt, and so we want to return the favor to somebody else. We want to play favorites. And James says everybody plays favorites, but the heart of God doesn't play favorites. Right? What are we just saying about God's reckless love? Does it make any sense to leave the 99 behind to go find the one? Does that make any logical sense? We would look at that and be like, 99 is not too bad. Like, that's good. I mean, that's, that's like, uh, that's almost perfect. And God says, no, 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 my, my grace means I, I chase after them all. But here's what happens. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the heart of it. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? And yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked on you? And so James says, what, what do the rich, the people that you're trying to get to, the people that you're trying to be in with, the, the, the people that you're playing favorites with, what, what do they actually do for you? I mean, think about it. Like, think about when you're in high school, okay? All the things that you did to be in the in crowd. I mean, we did some really ridiculously stupid things to be liked in high school. And we still do it as adults. Right, when you're standing there and everyone's making fun of somebody at work and you don't step in and you just, you kind of like laugh along. James says, what has it ever gotten you? What have they ever done for you? Yeah, but one day it's gonna really pay off and it's gonna be amazing when it does. And that's what we tell ourselves. That's what we tell ourselves. But James says, no, no, at the heart of God are the people that we place way down here. Listen to Exodus 22. God tells the people of, people of Israel, says you must not treat any widow or, or fatherless child. You must not mistreat them. We talked about this last week, the overlooked, the powerless. At the heart of God is protecting them. Deuteronomy 10 says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God. And we're like, yeah, that's who we worship every Sunday, every day, showing no partiality and taking no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the resident alien, giving him food and clothing. The one who can't return the favor is at the center of the heart of God. 
Psalm 68, I love this. God is a father of the fatherless and a champion or protector of widows. Tim Keller, in his great book, Generous Justice, he said, one of the things that separates God from other religions is that he is constantly called the father to the fatherless and the defender of the widows. He said, God identifies with the powerless and he takes up their cause. And here's what makes this interesting. In every world religion throughout history, the gods are connected to the powerful, to the elites. They're connected to the upper echelon. And the God of the Bible comes along and says, no, 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 I'm connected to the humble. I'm connected to the ones who can't get ahead. My heart is for the ones that are completely overlooked and cast aside. And so the vision of God in the Bible, the vision that he has for the church is not one of going after power and in the center of things, but being on the edges and showing a countercultural way of living. See, here's what's fascinating in our culture. Okay, this idea of loving the overlooked, of loving the powerless and the voiceless is actually a really popular idea in our culture. Everybody loves the idea of going on some kind of mission or some kind of justice thing and serving people who need it. That's a huge idea in our culture that people gravitate towards. But here's the thing, that's not actually a secular idea. Not at all. Like you read through any kind of secularism and what do you find? Survival of the fittest. This idea of loving the overlook, of pursuing the powerless, of not showing favorites, that is not at all a secular idea. That is at the heart of who God is. That is at the heart of the teachings of Jesus. And yet somehow, because we've separated Christianity and our culture, and we're like, we're just swimming in it. And what if, what if the church was known, what if we as followers of Jesus, the people of God were known for the things our culture thinks the church should be known for? This is exactly what the church, what, what our culture thinks the church should be known for. Right, and I said this last week, this is one of the biggest struggles for middle school, high school, and college age kids. This is one of their biggest struggles when it comes to the church and Christianity. Is they read James 2 and they're like, yeah, but it kind of seems like the church is really into playing favorites and they have a list. And they have a list of things and people and, and, and beliefs and, and sins that, that are on the list that just don't make the, make the cut. And God doesn't show favorites. And the heart of God that we are to live out is to be for everybody. Right, when Jesus told the story about the kingdom of God in Luke 14 and he, and he, and he talked about a party, and he said, don't just invite the rich people. He said, because the kingdom of God is not just for the rich people. The kingdom of God is not just for the influential. He says, no, no, no. When you throw a party for the kingdom of God, you invite everybody. You throw open the doors and say, everybody gets to hear about this. Everybody gets the invitation. But we struggle because we like to play favorites. We do, I'll admit, I, I like to play favorites. It's easier. It's more comfortable. It's easier to play favorites. To walk into a room, every room I've ever walked into, when a bunch of leaders are in there or pastors, I can walk in and tell you who is the most powerful person in that room every single time. I don't know how. Most of us can. And we gravitate towards that. And one of the things we have to continually be aware of is this question of, 
would Jesus actually gravitate towards that? Or would he gravitate towards the person who's sitting on the edge by themselves? And James says, be aware of your bias and be aware of what you're willing to do for that bias. Because we're willing to do a whole lot of things. We're willing to make a whole lot of awful choices for our bias. And just to, to help us bring it home so that we can see the heart of God, James tells us in verse eight, he says, this is the heart of God. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed by the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now here's, what's, here's what I think is really important is that James talks about things that we would go, yeah, those are totally sins. Adultery, murder, like, yeah, those are really bad. Like, you should not commit murder. We would, we would all be like, yes, that's a great verse, James, you tell him. He's like, favoritism's also a sin. No. No, it's not. It's not as, it's not as bad. <laughs> I think it's interesting that he takes two things that we go, yeah, you shouldn't do that. That can destroy people. I mean, murder really can destroy people. And we have seen in our lives the pain and destruction of adultery. And James throws favoritism in there. I mean, he could have picked anything. He could have picked like, you know, white lies. Like favoritism's like white lies. But instead, he wants us to see the gravity of how God sees favoritism and bias. And we don't see it the same way. And I've had to confess this this past week of just saying like, I, I don't see favoritism as bad and awful as God does sometimes. I just see it as something we do. And James says, no, no, no. It, it, it's on the same level. It's not like murder up here and then favoritism down here. He's like, no, they're both against the heart of God. And he says, so he, he picks up the teachings of Jesus, his brother, okay? Remember, James is the brother of Jesus. And, what, and what, when they come and question Jesus and they say, you know, what, what is the evidence of a changed life? What's the most important commandment? What does it say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what's important because it, James shows us that with a changed heart, how we live this out. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's the thing. Some of us, some of us, I, I mean, think about how you love yourself. Like some of us are really good at loving ourselves. Like we take care of ourselves. You know, we, we make sure we have enough food. We make sure we have the right things to wear. You, you know, you, you really, you spoil yourself. Some of us are really good at that. James says, if that's how you love yourself, that's how you love other people. Now, some of us connected to verse nine and 10 when he talks about, you know, the, the person who just has just low picture and does not see themselves the way God does. Don't love ourselves very well. And some of us need to be told, you actually need to learn to love yourself the way that God loves you so that you can love other people. But we make sure that we get taken care of. And so James says, love people the way you love yourself. Now, when, when they came to Jesus in Luke 10 and asked him, 
this like, well, then who is my neighbor? And Jesus, what does he say? He basically just says the person in front of you. Because this is how we think. We think of neighbor and we think of the person next door to us that we, chances are, you may or may not know their name. Right? Maybe you have a neighbor that when you take your trash cans out or get the mail and you're like, I really just don't want to talk to that guy. Like, I really just hope they're not walking by. Maybe you have a neighbor in a cubicle next to you. The one that plays like the really loud music and you think that it's a rule. Why do we play music at the office? Like they're not supposed to and they do anyway. They chew really loud at lunchtime. That's your neighbor, okay? That's your neighbor. They have a locker next to you. It's the parent that you see at all the games. That's your neighbor. The person right in front of you. And Jesus, when they asked him this and he told a story, he told a story about different races. And he says, our neighbors also don't look like us. Our neighbors don't vote like us. Our neighbors don't talk like us. Now, here's the thing about Christians and churches is that when it comes to neighbors who don't look like us, talk like us, act like us, we're good to go love them overseas in a missions trip and then come home to people who look like us, act like us, and talk like us. But the moment we interact with someone who doesn't look like us, act like us, and talk like us here, we're a little less likely to love them as our neighbor. And James says, that's your neighbor. And if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, you're showing favoritism. Why? Because at the heart of God, at the heart of the gospel, is this idea of loving the overlooked and loving the ones nobody else loves and not showing favoritism. Because here's why. The heart of the gospel is at one point, when you were rescued, God did not show favoritism. God didn't need to rescue you. He didn't need to rescue me. In fact, if everybody like never followed Jesus or never heard about Jesus for some reason, God would have been perfect. And yet in his grace, what does James say? He comes with his mercy. See, what James says is really hard to hear. If we show favoritism, if we don't love our neighbor as ourselves, we are showing that we have not been changed by the news of Jesus. Now, does that mean that you just go and just go full board and just love everybody and just do whatever they need and just you know, become a whole servant and just, it, it doesn't even matter. Throw all caution to the wind for it. Maybe. But here's what I do think it probably means. It probably means changing a few things. Like here's a few simple things. The next time you see somebody that doesn't look like you, act like you, talk like you, or vote like you, what would it mean to love them as your neighbor and see them with the eyes of God? What about the next time that you read something that just makes your blood boil on social media? And instead of being like, what an idiot. I can't believe they wrote that. I can't believe they even linked to that. I cannot believe that I'm related to them. What if instead you just love them as your neighbor, as you love yourself? Now, here's the thing. When you post something ridiculous on Facebook or social media, do you know what you do? Do you know what you think? I just give myself the benefit of the doubt. I just didn't know. Like, I just, you know, people should be kind. What if you did the same for them? That's loving your neighbor as yourself. 
The next time, instead of judging somebody because of the way they smell or the way they look, what would it mean to love them as their neighbor, as your neighbor? Maybe it just means that you open up your Altoids, you take a mint, and you're like, you want one? What about when you go into the cafeteria and that person's sitting all alone and you can tell that they don't want to be sitting all alone? Now, some people want to be sitting all alone, okay? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm all up for a lunch by myself. So, like, but some people don't want to be sitting all alone. And what if you know they don't want to be sitting all alone? But you know if you sit with them, it may, it may negatively impact you. What if you sat with them? What if you just gave a gift to somebody? You know right now, like, there's somebody that you think, you know what, they, they, could, they could use some, some money for groceries, they could use a helping hand, they could use this, and, and you know it. And you're thinking in your mind, I, I hope somebody does that. I really hope somebody's going to take it. I'm sure somebody will. I'm sure somebody, I'm sure there's like, I'm sure lots of people are helping them out right now. What if you did? What if you did? What does it mean, here's a great one, you're a parent, grandparent, what does it mean to love your spouse, your kids? as you love yourself. See, some of us say things to our spouse and our kids that are not loving them as we love ourselves. Some of us maybe are holding back and we're doing it out of fear instead of love. And love might be having a hard conversation. Love might be stepping into that place and saying, okay, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna have this conversation because I love you too much. I said this last week, but loving your neighbor as yourself means being fair in dealings. Maybe you don't take the best deal in business to love somebody else. Like, have you ever seen a deal happen or, or some kind of thing happen where you know, you're like, this person should know, but like, I'm gonna get total advantage out of this. Like, this is like totally working for me. I can't help it that they don't know. James would say, is that, is that you loving them as your neighbor, as yourself? Like, because wouldn't you want someone to tell you? Yeah, but they should just know. Like, I mean, if they're gonna be in this business, they should just know. See, this, is, this gets really hard. <laughs> and James says, this is, why, this is why this is connected to the heart of the gospel, because if you are not changed by the good news of Jesus, there is no way you want to do this. There is no way you have the energy to do this. You don't have the stamina. You can do a, a couple of really good deeds, but you will run out of stamina and you will not go all the way that James calls us to go. So, who in your life, who has God placed in your life for you to love as your neighbor who can't or won't return the favor? Here's what I guess. My guess is you, you, can, you see them. You see their face and you know exactly what it is. You know exactly what it would mean to love them as your neighbor. And James says, living out our faith, showing that we have been changed, means just going and loving them. And so here's how we're gonna close. We're gonna take communion. One of our elders is gonna come up to, to set up communion and I'm gonna pray for us in a moment, but I wanna, part of what I think we need to do as we prepare our hearts is, is to confess maybe some places that we've shown favoritism. 
because it's in, it's in all of us. It's in you, it's in me. And, and so before John comes up, I wanna just give you a moment. I want you to just take just a minute here. And I, I wanna just encourage you to bring those places of favoritism before the cross. Just say, God, that, I, I, it's so easy for me to look down on this person. It's so easy for me to show favorites. And to just admit it. And just say, God, just cleanse me of, of this. God, I thank you that you did not show favorites to us. And it is so natural, it is human nature for us to show favorites, to, for us to level people up and down, for us to put people in tears, for us to scan the room and try to find where the influence and power is. But God, you call us to, to a different way of living. You call us to a way of living It says, let me find the person that's overlooked. Let me find the person on the edges. Let me have honesty and integrity, even if it means I might lose. And we do that because one, it's part of, it is at the heart of your gospel. But two, we also do that because we know the things that we think are important, the things that we go after, the riches, the influence, the power, the, the zeros in our bank account. So we just keep adding and adding and adding to it. We just know, James tells us, it just withers and falls away and dies. And so we wanna be about things that last. We wanna be about your kingdom that lasts. So as we take communion here in a moment, God, we remember that you never showed favorites to us and you came and chased after us when we were the one that ran away, that you left the 99 to chase us down. In your name, amen.